0: In 1913, Francis Wrigley Hurst, the editor of the Economist magazine, published an essay entitled Foreign Travel. In it he described the globalization of his day, a process which seemed to pick up speed with each passing decade. Already, Hurst wrote, "Railways and steamers have made the journey from London to Chicago quicker and pleasanter by far than was the journey from London to Edinburgh two centuries ago." English comforts and American luxuries, French dinners and German waiters are everywhere at the service of wealth. Wherever there is plenty of sport, good air for invalids or good markets for merchandise, good hotels will be found. The watchful eye of capital, which knows no national prejudices in its unceasing search for high interest and adequate security, is always looking for opportunities— and the taste for travel grows with the facilities. Switzerland was the first playground of Europe. The world is now covered with playgrounds, to which active idlers and weary money makers flock in obedience to the varying fashions of smart society, of sport, or of medical prescription. The African desert, Kashmir, California, Japan, the Canary Islands, Bermuda, the Isles of Greece, Uganda. British Columbia are not too remote for the modern globetrotter. The commercial traveler is ubiquitous, and our own correspondent pursues wars and rumors of wars as keenly as the hunter tracks his quarry. Travel, not just that of wealthy tourists in search of new experiences, but that of migrants in search of brighter tomorrows, had become much cheaper over the course of Hearst's lifetime. He was thirty-nine years old in 1913. No wonder, then, he wrote, if the number of those who travel for pleasure or profit steadily increases. A trip around the world, once fraught with danger, could now be sold to the curious traveler as a cruise, to be completed in the lap of luxury. The Hamburg-American line offered regular round-the-world journeys on the S.S. Cleveland, from New York to Europe, and then via the Suez Canal to India, Burma, the Philippines, Hong Kong, Japan, Hawaii, and San Francisco, all for as little as $650. So momentous an undertaking as traveling around the world has always been pervaded by an atmosphere of romance and a spirit of adventure, declared the prospectus for the trip. In the modern age, however, the traveler was provided with a degree of comfort, unimaginable to his or her ancestors. On the SS Cleveland, electric elevators connected the decks and telephones allowed one to make calls from cabin to cabin. The ship was equipped with a darkroom for amateur photographers, a library stocking books in English, French, and German, and a gymnasium with electrically operated machines, including several in the form of a saddle In 1913, the last leg of the journey from San Francisco back to New York was still by Transcontinental Railway. The opening of the Panama Canal in 1914 would allow future travelers to complete their trip by sea. This audiobook is a circumnavigation of a different sort, starting in the capital cities of Europe, London, Paris, Berlin, Rome, Vienna, St. Petersburg, it journeys to the cities of North America—Washington, New York, Detroit, Los Angeles, Mexico City, and then to the four corners of the wider world—Winnipeg, Melbourne, Buenos Aires, Algiers, Bombay, Durban, Tehran, and Jerusalem. Finally, it travels into the hearts of the chief cities of the great non-European empires of 1913—Constantinople, Peking, Shanghai, and Tokyo.